Here we go. Oh, oh wait, 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 oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait, wait, oh, wait. Oh, boy. No, never mind. No, wait. There was something, actually. You done complaining? Um, can we, can no, we, but can we you do can, the show now? You can, you can start anyway. Here we go. Today is Monday, April 11th, 2016, and this is episode 156 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bow, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Hello, Jerry. How are you, sir? Doing well. How are you? I think I think my headphones got a ransomware. Hang on. Oh, oh. Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just pay the Bitcoin so we can continue. Good. Yeah. Good, good. How are you? You're the ching-ching. <laughs> We need a soundboard for that kind of thing. Yep. We're not that fancy, apparently. Oh, well. Uh, and how are, how are you? I'm doing awesome. Doing I, awesome. I heard your, your spawn escaped China. Yeah, they let him out. I can't believe it. I'm sure he came back with all sorts of APTs. He, he, <laughs> yes. He does have a watch that has uh, Chairman Mao waving. <laughs> that That's compromising everything with Bluetooth in it's, range. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. We... We've uh, we've lined his uh, room with aluminum foil. So, oh, although we did that a couple of years ago, so. I was going to say that, that, that <laughs> I thought that was a pre-existing condition, but okay. <laughs> anyway, the uh, by the way, the thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast are ours and do not represent those of our employers. But uh, I will say he had a great time and uh, had took some really great pictures. So. Yeah, you know, one of these days, I, I wouldn't mind going to China. I mean, it's yeah. not on the top of my list, but I think it'd be pretty interesting. Uh, he went to, he got to go to the Great Wall, and it was absolutely beautiful. So, really nice. Anyway, um, we have some interesting stories for tonight. Um, the first of which, the big news this past week, of course, was the Panama Papers. Although, unlike every other news outlet, we are not going to talk about the political angle. We're going to talk about... Stealing 2.6 terabytes of data. I mean, that is the data loss equivalent of like the the Exxon Valdez and the the BP Gulf oil spill all rolled into one. You know, you'd have to really think about the logistics of that one. My Dropbox won't handle that. You'd have to really, you know. Well, I think they to... I think they said it took years. And this so this story comes from Wired, and uh, and the the title is. The security flaws at the heart of the Panama Papers. And I, I think at one point in here, I can't find the exact quote, but they basically said it took years to transfer the data. Wow. So it was <laughs> So this is the funny part. Like let's say you're monitoring your network, you're baselining for performance, right? You're baselining for and they're already doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just looks like normal outbound traffic. Yeah, it's been going on for uh, you know, at least the last year. <laughs> got to be normal yeah this is ugly so, ugly ugly so 11 and a half million documents were were part of what was stolen from this law firm and the, the law firm's name is masak fonseca can i just say i'm really really sorry for all the interns that had to go look through all this crap when it hit the hit the press outlets oh my gosh absolutely 
that's that's yeah. a lot of data. But you know the 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 long and the short of it from a data perspective, there's apparently um, th this this particular law firm apparently was in the business of setting up offshore companies, some of which appear to be legitimate, others of which may have been less legitimate. Um, for the purposes of, you know, lots of different reasons. Some of them good reasons. Some of them probably not so good reasons. Um, anyway, the, the law firms like this often have lots of uh, information about, you know, financial transactions and whatnot. And, uh, and anyway, that's uh, apparently what happened here and what was stolen. So there's um, something like 200,000 different companies set up by this uh this law firm which had their 214,488 well there you go yes to be exact i mean but who's I mean, once you get to 200,000 shell companies who does it really make sense to even <laughs> that's keep just, counting that's true, that's true. <laughs> so that's, uh that's a lot of broken shells right there yeah so um so anyway the the there is a lot of analysis going on and most of it is speculation about how this happened. And, and so apparently um, there was some speculation uh, again about, uh, let's see, trying to get my story straight. This particular company had, uh, well, I know one of the, one of the big really crazy pieces of news, which, I think was a little overblown was that their web server and their email server were on the same logical network, which, you know, it's not, not the most serious problem I've ever seen. Those monsters. I know, I know. Well, here, here we go. So, um, Mossack Fonseca's webmail system, which runs Microsoft Outlook Web Access, was last updated in 2009 while its main website runs a version of WordPress that is three months out of date. And Which is actually fairly impressive, by the way, to have only three months out of date WordPress. is actually not that bad. That's true. And their client <laughs> information portal, which I assume is where most of these documents came from, was running Drupal, which, by the way, is the world's most popular remote access tool. That's true. Um, had uh, the, the version they were running had 25 vulnerabilities, including a high-risk SQL injection vulnerability, um, the thing that strikes me, by the way, is 2.6 terabytes is a lot of data to keep online because some of this data apparently goes back to 1970. So, I mean, to be fair, drive space is cheap. I suppose. You know, yeah, I'm sure these are on server class boxes and such, but... Well, drive space is cheap. Also, if you're, you know, if this data leak was going on over a period of years, who knows how much of this rotated in and out? That's a that's a really good point. Yeah, I did like that. I did like that they pointed out that uh, Masak Fansaka's web uh, client portal was vulnerable to the drone attack because that's the most serious thing they have going on. Yes. Look, the editor was really happy that they used that in context. So you know. <laughs> Damn it! We're gonna we're gonna find a way to use it. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, they also mentioned that there was 25 volumes found on Drupal, including a SQL injection vulnerability 
that's probably what burned them. Also, you know, not just a SQL injection vulnerability, but op exposed to the world. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, they do some speculation later over this was this targeted, was this a drive-by, was this, you know, a matter of just sort of stumbling upon this. There are tons of people out there scanning all day long for websites that have open SQL injection vulnerabilities. Just hitting every open TCP port out there looking for websites and then testing to see if they've got vulnerabilities uh, like this. So it's entirely possible somebody's just trolling for websites, stumbled upon this, and then went, holy camoly, what did we find? Yeah, yeah. They, there's even a, an allegation that it could have been a nation state who was unhappy about the... Uh, you know, the, the, the tax haven situation. But, you know, I, I will say, you bring up a good point. That I have um, I have worked on some incidents before where uh, web servers had been compromised. And it had not just been compromised once. It actually had been compromised like eight or nine or ten times. It was really hard to, event, at some point you kind of lose track. And you can actually see them trying to kick each other out. And, and they're, they're, you know, basically like, Fighting over territory, <laughs> playing king of the hill on the yeah. on the pwn server. That's right, and uh, <laughs> so you know who knows. This this sounds like it was pretty uh, pretty well hosed. Um, it, interestingly, obviously they they say they run uh, Outlook Web Access. It's not clear to me if their main web server was also running uh, on Windows or not. But again, I'm gonna bet that all that crap was hooked up to Active Directory, and so you know. Once they got on one system, they probably had, you know, complete access to anything that was in was in their uh, their network and was reachable from those systems. I've seen that before. It is really brutally ugly. Indeed. So you know, it, it, it's interesting too when you look at this OWA saying, "Oh, it hasn't been updated since 2009." Uh, we don't know that that had anything to do with a problem. Actually, first off, now mind you, yes, you should patch and please, for the love of God, patch the stuff on the edge. But also looking at the screenshot of the OWA, uh, Outlook Web Access, it looks like they were doing straight single-factor auth with their domain uh, cre cre credentials. So domain, username, password. So not even doing any sort of two-factor auth, at least from the screenshot. That's probably a bad idea for stuff on the edge. Yeah, it's probably running Windows 2003. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going <laughs> to go on on a limb. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, you, you're right. They, they, there is. This is one of those situations and we have another one coming up in a minute where uh, unless you're actually really in the, in the thick of the forensics it's very difficult to to tell exactly how they got in it you know it's like well there's a hundred doors open and they could have come in through any one of them so uh, d difficult to say um, and, and by the way this is one of the this is one of the emergent problems with uh, defending networks these days is that the initial entry point has become kind of abstracted out of the equation. It's, you know, attackers have have lots of different uh, avenues in, and, and so each, in, in, in my mind, what's happening is, you know, each level, each layer of the intrusion is becoming its own abstraction layer, you know. So the initial point of infection or intrusion is... You know, could be phishing, could be SQLI, could be you know RFI, could be LFI, whatever, and then you know, and then there's a you know s subsequent lateral movement, and it's all abstracted. You know, it doesn't matter. It, it, it could have you know any one of these things may have been patched and not been vulnerable, and the same outcome could have happened. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, perhaps more data will come out, you know, but I think everybody's busy chewing through this. <laughs> like more than 2.6 terabytes. <laughs> Can I make a completely random observation? Sure. So this is a Wired article, and throughout it, you've got little highlighted words that allow you to, you know, go to other random articles about that sort of thing. So like Panama Papers and Drown Attack and, uh, uh, you know, client information portal and vulnerabilities, Outlook Web Access, Change WordPress. Change log. Yep. Right. Then you get really deep in the article, and they decided that email was a word worth referencing all other articles on email in wired.co.uk. If you are in SEO, that makes a ton of sense. <sighs> I just thought that was silly. Well, to, to have email be a keyword you're going to go. You're, you know. not, you're not in marketing. You don't get it. You just <laughs> yeah, don't get it. That's the truth. I'm nowhere near marketing. I'm anti-marketing. So, okay. That's all. Moving on to our next story. This one comes from uh, sfgate.com. And the title is Hackers Broke Into Hospitals, the hospitals Despite Software Flaw Warnings. Yikes. So uh, this is the story about MedStar Health, which operates a network of hospitals. I believe it's in the, uh, yeah, in the D.C. area. And, uh, and uh, I don't know exactly how many hospitals there were, there were uh, out, but all of the hospitals in this network, apparently for a period of time, were unable to use their computer systems uh, because... Well, their uh, apparently their domain controllers and some other systems had been uh, crypto lockered or crypto locker. I, 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 by the way, since I'm getting old, crypto lockers kind of like Kleenexes to tissue, right? So when I say crypto locker, I mean ransomware. Sorry, get over it. Nothing but pure accuracy and the height of journalistic so, integrity. So this this crypto locker was uh, Sam Sam, right? See what I did there? Are you just stuttering now? Yeah, no, no. Sam Sam is the name of the ransomware, which apparently is um, is known to use a, J, uh, a pretty well-known JBoss vulnerability to get in. And um, yeah, so, so apparently MedStar had been running a vulnerable version of JBoss, and I know a number of other organizations have uh, have had the same... Uh, problem, including a friend of ours, by the way, um, has has been wrestling with uh, a very bad Sam Sam infection. I'll tell you about that later. Uh, and uh, anyway, the, the point of the the story here is that everybody and their dog has been warning about this really significant and severe JBoss vulnerability uh, since two thousand seven. Uh, and uh, apparently didn't get updated. The problem, I think, in my experience, just you know, taking off my security hat, putting on my IT hat, it, it, you know, some of these legacy applications become very difficult and expensive to update. You know, the person who wrote it is long gone. I'm, I don't. I, by the way, I don't know that's the case here, right? But this is a very, this is a very common story that plays out all the damn time. No, I completely agree. Uh, people are who are paid for uptime 
get very cautious about changing or touching something. Right. And, uh, you know, they really, really are afraid of it. Uh, we've seen uh, that in a lot of organizations, especially yeah, saw an organization that had a bunch of stuff that was out of support, hadn't been under support for 10 years. So they weren't getting patches. There were no patches being made, uh, but they really were afraid to touch it because it was part of critical infrastructure for the organization. And they didn't have any folks still there who built it, so they weren't quite sure how it all worked. So you really take a huge risk when you let stuff atrophy to the point where you're afraid to touch it. Yeah. You know, I, I will say, one of, my, one of my sincere hopes, as much as I make fun of uh, Agile and DevOps and all the newfangled stuff the kids are coming up with these days, my hope is that... Uh, we see a bit of a reversal, you know, that, that, that some of these legacy applications become less monolithic and more maintainable as a result. But, you know, I think I, we'll see. I don't know. I, I see we, we have a systemic issue with patching over and over and over and over again. And uh, almost every organization I've spent any time in as a consultant, as a sales engineer, as, a, as an employee, they have all struggled with patching. And I, and I wonder if we just need to fundamentally do something different in terms of patching. But, you know, you're always balancing that uptime. You're always balancing that risk of breaking something with a patch. Or, yeah. And we look it through the lens of security. So we have a, a singular lens at times. Uh, and sometimes it's the wrong way to look at it. But we have the singular lens of why didn't they just patch their stuff? Yeah. What's wrong with these people? Come on, this is basic one-on-one stuff. But if it's so basic and one-on-one, why do we continually have this problem over and over and over again? Either this is too complex, and we've got far too many people running this gear who don't have the skill set or the time or the energy or the focus or they're wearing 20 different hats in the organization. And as bad as it sounds, maybe we need more gear that's self-service. As much as people bitch and complain about Windows 10 patching, there's something to that from a security standpoint. It's going yeah. to solve some of those problems, uh, but it's going to introduce other problems. Absolutely. Yeah, it was interesting. Interestingly, uh, in the InfoSec community, we both see people complaining about the forced march to Windows 10, and we also bemoan the recent report about you know millions of users are still running Windows XP, and uh, you know both at the same time but you know back back on point here one of the uh, jboss being the component that it is you know it's it's the kind of underpinning of usually a lot of custom written code or or maybe it's canned code that you bought and then customized from someone else my experience has been that that stuff has a shelf life and at some point you know, either the, the the people who wrote it and maintain it are gone, or it becomes a non-strategic application. And, you know, when when you as an organization have decided that, hey, you know what, we're, we're this 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 thing that runs on top of JBoss, I'm not exactly sure what this application even was in the case of MedStar. You know, when you decide that that, that application is not strategic and you're moving... You know, you've got all of your uh, your marbles in the basket of of some new developing some new application. You know, you don't want to go and spend you know hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars 
to have to rewrite something so that would enable you to run on a later version of JBoss, for instance. I don't know for uh, I don't, with JBoss, I'm not exactly sure how complicated the upgrade path is. I mean, maybe you don't have to rewrite anything, but I know in other cases, like with Oracle Financials and um, and PeopleSoft, you know, it is not a trivial thing. You know, if you want if you want to upgrade, it is it is brutal and um, it, it is. But I don't mean to be harsh about this, but this is what you sign up for if you start running this gear. Now, you may not be aware of that. You may not understand that. You may go in with all good intentions. You know, who knows who's building and running this IT stuff? It could be somebody who's got 13 other things going on or he's one IT guy spread incredibly thin. But, it, you know, I understand I'm just saying stuff that's been said a thousand times. But keep, but keep in mind that it's probably been there so long that it's not even the same people. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. So when you say that it's what you signed up for, well, the organization. Yeah. Yes. And and, but you know, if I take a step back and put my libertarian hat on, hey, they they paid the price for it, right? Well, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and so this show is about how do we avoid the same fate? And as as boring and as crappy as it is, I think good patch management and good lifestyle lifestyle. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> good, <laughs> you know, good management of the age of your systems, the supportability of your systems, getting rid of boxes that are no longer under support goes a long way towards that. And making sure all the gear you're running is still under support. Yep. Um, and, you know, sometimes this means not running the latest, coolest, homegrown hand spun gear because that's the other problem we run into is these people build stuff and then the guy who builds it leaves there is something to be said for running something in his industry standard that somebody else can pick up and actually have a clue about what's going on yeah but at the same time i think um there's two there's two count contra problems to that number one is you know you, especially with these business applications my experience has been that no every organization goes into one of those organ uh, those um, applications saying, "Oh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna use it out of the box so that we, you know, we can just upgrade," and they never do, right? Because there's there's always something, and then you know once you start to unravel the sweater, the whole damn thing falls apart, and you now have a cust completely customized solution. And then the other is that. Even if you buy something that's canned and use it completely canned, like let's say Windows XP, at some point they're gonna they're gonna stop using it too. Well, that comes back to the life cycle. Yeah, and, and I I have to be honest here. I don't have a lot of sympathy for for an organization that gets caught by surprise by end of life of an operating system. That's just poor maturity in the organization. Now it's incredibly common, so maybe my expectations are too high. But we should be better than this. You know, you shouldn't be still getting rid of Windows 2003 servers in your environment if you're on top of stuff. Yeah, uh, that's fair. Fair enough. All right, so uh, moving on to our next story, which comes from Ars Technica, also about ransomware. And the title is, OK Panic, Newly Evolved Ransomware is Bad News for Everyone. So uh, so this, this story basically is, you know, the clean your pants out and go back up your data because um, you know, the world has changed. And they, I, I like, 
how they point out something, you know, that in the, in the past, in tr- you know, companies who are companies, attackers who have wanted to monetize uh, network intrusions have had to work pretty hard. You know, they've had to go looking for things that were, were saleable. And, uh, and, and so this is, this paradigm is completely different. It's, it's, it's very fast and simple and easy. And so we're seeing a very swift growth in, you know, both the number of attacks and the number of different, uh, apparent actors who are involved in this with different types of things, you know, whether you're talking about CryptoLocker or Sam Sam or, uh, uh, what was it, uh, pay, uh, Petya, sorry, Petya, which, by the way, is kind of harkens back to you know really old school master boot record uh, stuff. So, um, anyway, <clears throat> I, I think the the takeaway from this particular article is that you know that the the economics have changed in a really difficult way for us as defenders. And we've got to get on uh, with accepting the new reality. And if we don't, we're going to be buying some Bitcoins. Yeah, I agree. I This is one that we see coming. And we really need to get ahead of this one, I think. Uh, and it's a challenge. Even, even in the organizations I talk to all the time, it's one of those, well, we haven't gotten hit by it yet. Clearly, our controls are working. <laughs> or... or, or Everyone wants the easy button of, you know, what can I, what sort of software can I load to stop ransomware? Well, the problem is the exploit vector is highly varied. Um, yeah, I mean, there there are some that are very, you know, the, the yeah, different. Yeah, they're, they're systematic right now and they're predictable right now. Yeah. But they right. can they can easily pivot into another vector. Right. One, I think what we're we're seeing a lot of. What what appears to be learning, right? So between the different uh, the different variants, and so for instance, SamSam is uh, it's pretty insidious in that it um, you know it uses a lot of different tools in order to compromise a Windows network. I mean, it is in it actually goes after file servers and domain controllers and and higher value things, and so it has bundled with it tools, you know, like Mimikatz. It's got Mimikatz bundled into it and, um, you know, stuff like that. So it's, it's, um, you know, that. Yeah. And they're going to get stronger. Right. This is, this is a, a typical arms race. This is now a new evolution, a new front. And I think we're seeing the beginning of this cycle. Right. And I think it's going to get a lot worse. Uh, and, and I think organizations really need to have a very serious discussion about this. Because it's 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 easily direct monetization, and it is too appealing to the bad guys not to go after this. That I think that's the real crux of the problem is is how easy it is to monetize. Yeah, um, and just in the in the broad availability of attack tools. I mean, the from a from a an attack perspective, nothing about this is complicated. Mm-hmm. You know everything. Everything is very well worn territory. It, you know, antivirus evasion. Get, you know, getting your your stuff in the door is trivial. We've been you know th- we've been complaining about that for a very very long time. Um, you know, command and control facilities are very easy. The the only thing that's really been a problem for these guys has been 
uh, and it continues to be a problem, is um, you know implementing the crypto badly, <laughs> right? <laughs> but which but, again, with toolkits and other right. exploit kits being built, uh, we don't even need to have very smart criminals out there. They just have to go buy a kit and run it. Exactly. And they're getting better. This is sort of the next evolution of spam in my mind. Spam had a you know a click through rate of what one percent, but it was enough to be monetized and people made money off it, so they kept doing it. This is a very, very, very similar thought process in my mind. Spray and pray is much crypto locker, which a much, much higher success rate. Yeah. Yep. And um, so, so the, the sorry. Now I'm using crypto locker generically. Look what you've done. I know. There's <sighs> there's, there's now eight thousand people running around calling it crypto locker. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, our last, the, the last story we have is actually also related, and it's um, it's titled "Sysadmins We Need to Talk." It's from the Offensive Security Blog, and um, th this one basically goes through a, a pretty good enumeration of different tactics to hopefully avoid being uh, captured by um, you know by CryptoLocker. <laughs> Did it again. Um, you know, by the way, I was I, I was uh, um, I was thinking of Martin today because you know he 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 posted a comment about how um, uh, every you know all the uh, cybersecurity vendors now are suddenly experts at defending hospitals against uh, CryptoLocker or you know, ransomware. Of course. And uh, my and if solution you only ran their blinky box. You wouldn't have these problems. Yeah, but my solution is much simpler. Bitcoins, Bitcoin ATMs. In the lobbies of all the hospitals, done. How easy is that? You don't have to change anything. You don't have to change any user behavior. You don't have to buy any blinky boxes. So really, what you're saying is that that we should just build into our budgets, much like a refresh rate on our software, an annual license fee. We should just build in a ransomware license fee into our budgets and just be done with it. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah, no. <laughs> You know, I, I do wonder, just to, just to play out a ridiculous thought for a second, you know, it, you have to think that at some point, the, as, as shady groups around the world become more and more aware of the opportunity to get money out of ransomware, you can expect organized crime and other even less, um, you know, good groups like terrorists to start getting in there. And I do wonder at some point if we run into a problem of people paying Bitcoins to terrorists to, you know, to get back grandma's pictures. And then, you know, do you end up on, you know, the, the, the watch list or, you know, do you end up being prosecuted for financing terrorism? I see a reality TV show in the making. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So anyway. <laughs> you know, something else that occurred to me. So what if we've got so many different organizations doing ransomware that eventually they're competing with each other in the same victim machine? Ooh. Like, you yeah. know what? You know what? Bob from Russia wants eight Bitcoins to unlock your photos. Tell you what, I'll do it for 7.5. What do you say? And then Bob will come back and say, no, 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 6.5, <laughs> right? And terrible accent. You, but, you know, you bar then, you're, you're bartering with, for a... Right. 
So how low can you go? And then it becomes a buyer's market. Uh, you know, I think it would be more likely that the uh, uh, that a competing uh, entity would crypto locker the you know the decryption key. Oh man! So now you got multiple so, layers. So now you got to pay. Yeah, in order to get you know, yeah. in order to in order to pay to unlock your files, Just you the, have to... the next time you go to enter the office, you know, you swipe your badge and sorry, this badge reader's been ransomware. Please insert twenty-five cents to enter building. I, I, I give up. We're done. Turn off the internet. It was fun. It was fun while it lasted, wasn't it? This is just the perfect expression of monetizing a hack. It's so direct. It's so. It oh, this is going to be with us for a long, long time. There's there's really no great mitigation. You know that's the. Um, that's that's uh, no no painless great mitigation. I mean, there are good mitigations like um, you know application whitelisting things like that, but they're all painful, right? They, it's a trade off, right? And and it, unfortunately, it's 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 often a trade off that no one's willing to make until after they get their crap crypto lacquered, and you know, and then it's too late, <laughs> and not, now you're paying all kinds of bitcoins you could use to buy to buy your Bit Nine licenses, so. Anyway, um, so in this uh, in this post, they talk about um, a couple of different things, like filtering email. They they point out that you know that a really popular avenue for things like Locky is Microsoft Office documents, and you know they they come in as the uh, the perennial invoice or or something like that. And when you open it up, it's you know it has a high security feature that you have to run the macro in order to see the content and you know by the way it you know the, the 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 malicious content actually isn't in that file all that file contains is a macro that goes out and downloads the you know the actual um ransomware that that then runs on your system so um so they they talk about blocking office documents javascript files zip and r and uh, rar files Filtering countries, so if you don't have any, for instance, need to talk with China or Romania or Ukraine, you know you might want to block both their uh, their top level domains and uh, net blocks originating from their their uh, those countries, and uh, imp improving your spam protection because a lot of this stuff is uh, you know is actually using spam techniques. Uh, good good uh, good deal. And then the other one, which I thought was pretty good advice is is blocking the uh, generic tlds you know the dot info yeah we we've seen some other research that some of these new G tlds are like 80 percent hostile <laughs> yeah. yeah right there's there's no reason your folks need and, and for an enterprise organization i'm a big fan of blocking a lot of crap they don't need to be going to like like countries and top level domains. I've worked with some organizations using OpenDNS, uh, the enterprise version of OpenDNS, which I think is actually pretty good. Don't, don't you know? They're not paying us to say that. I just think it's a decent service. Um, and you can do things like, uh, you know, if I don't know this domain, I don't need to be talking to it <laughs> at a DNS level. Right. And that makes a makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, it, it, the problem, of course. The trade-off is that you know, on the off chance, 
your um, one of your one of your employees can't get their horoscope delivered in in the morning you know lord help you because that that's you know world ending right there that's a seven one outage if you ask me yeah uh, tr- i i have had a you know I, we joke a, we joke until an executive has that problem i had a problem with an executive who could not get their horoscope once it was it was very <laughs> bad. Tell, today's horoscope says that you're not getting much done at work. <laughs> it's very bad. Uh, defending your servers, they they talk about uh, software restriction policies. You know, don't let don't let things run out of the temp directory. I'm not sure why they put this in under the uh, defend your servers category because that's kind of a workstation thing. Um, not not necessarily. Temp directories absolutely exist on on Windows servers. Well, let me let me say it this way: If right. you are operating your server in such a way that people are running programs, that, you know, in a, in the context of a user frequently, you have bigger problems than software restriction policies. <laughs> well, okay, yes, but we all have to start somewhere. Yeah, I'm just saying, don't browse the internet and check your email from your file server bad idea you're gonna have a bad day okay but think if you dig if you will the picture you already get some some ransomware into your environment and it pivots onto your one or ser- one of your servers and drops in the temp directory to execute um yeah i don't know i'm not there <sighs> fine I understand that my thought leading is sometimes too forward leading for your thought to keep up with. You, clearly, that's what's going on here. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they talk about re- monitoring file resources, file server resources. So you know, looking for uh, looking for lots of activity. They actually had a couple of things. Uh, also, monitoring for uh, excessive file handles. Right. So uh, you could think that a crypto locker type, um, you know, <laughs> ransomware. That's, in, that's encrypting thousands of files. It's probably lot, got lots of file handles open, and you can actually detect that and then and then shut it down. The thing that I see as a problem with that is that if you, um, it, you know, if your files are being crypto locked across the network through a map drive on the file server proper, you're just going to see that shown up as you know as a actual legitimate, um, you know, file server resource. So. Um, and then you know your organization starts rolling out full disk encryption without telling you. And true, that's true. Well, that's usually done at a drive. Anyway, that was a stupid comment. Forget <clears> it. <throat> you know, I, I, I have to tell you, if and I was thinking about this in the context of the Panama Papers thing, if they had just been unlucky enough to have fallen for some ransomware, they could have avoided all of this embarrassment because the only thing that would have leaked would have been encrypted files. You know, so full disk encryption as a service. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it noticed your files run encrypted, which is dangerous. So we encrypted them for you. It reminds me back of the the joke uh, back in the the Dick Cheney days about the subpoena speed shredder. <laughs> was that before or after he shot you in the face? Uh, that was after. So um, <clears throat> defend your endpoints, antivirus, because everybody knows antivirus will catch your crypto locker. Uh, patching, definitely have to patch because 
Um, by the way, I think one of the big news um, articles in the past week was uh, there was a big Adobe Flash. Yet again, vulnerability that was being used to uh, distribute, guess what? Ransomware. There you Flash go. Flash the devil. <laughs> there you go. Every time I hit something and it says, Flash is required to use this, my soul dies just a little more. Yep. Can't, can't we please just all agree? No. No. And what really bothers me is like brand new services like Periscope or, 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 or something live streaming on some Facebook service or whatnot is currently being built in Flash. I'm like, stop! Don't you kids have Node.js or something? <laughs> Can't you use that? You know, in my day, we did an assembler and we liked it. That's right. That's right. We could do everything with the marquee tag. All right. Um, removing local admin, admin privileges from your uh, your workstations, uh, which, by the way, I will tell you, uh, in uh, first-hand experience, will not often help uh, prevent your files from being cryptolockered. So, although if you do remove admin rights and implement uh, the the software restriction policies to prevent execution out of temp, that actually is a pretty good mitigation. Uh, but you will piss off your users. I will tell you that. I do that every time I walk in the building. So what's new? <laughs> uh, DNS. You mentioned uh, Open DNS. They, they actually have a recommendation to use something like Open DNS. Hey, you skipped over the Fisher users recommendation. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, I did I skip mean, over that. You're right. Because we haven't ranted around that for I, a couple of decades. I, I did skip over that one. You're right. Yeah, carry on. Uh, block Tor. And uh, also block I2P while you're at it. No good reason for you to have that. And, but okay, if you uh, do, if but you do. How, many, how often have we seen Tor ever have anything to do with ransomware ever? Uh, quite lately, fairly often. What, for CNC maybe? Yes, absolutely. About CNC, okay. Right. That's fair. That's. I mean that. That's. That's the only reason, right? So it doesn't block the initial compromise. It blocks the download and the CNC callback. Correct. Okay, that's fair. Correct. And by the way, if you want to, you know, if you kind of want to have some good G two on what the heck's going on in your network, look for uh, look for stuff that's trying to talk Tor outbound. You'll, um, you know, that that's a good good source of threat intelligence on your network. Um, backing up your data. God damn it. Why do people not back up their data? Because my IT group's taking care of that, right? I, I, no, I, this is a legitimate problem, actually, that I keep thinking about. So servers get backed up, but what about desktops? What about laptops? If only well, there were... 8,000 goddamn services out there. I know, but how many people use them in a corporate environment? Everyone, you know why? Because in corporate environments, they say, well, just put it on your shared drive. And how many people actually consistently do that well? And when an executive doesn't do it, because I'm sure they don't, and their box gets crypto locked, and they've got no backups of their vital files, they were just working on their flight home from Spokane, you got a problem. Well, that's true. Run some local version of, you know, a corporate version of, of Carbonite or Mosey or whatever your flavor is, but you should be probably be doing incremental backups of critical files on your key folks' machines. If you want to do directors or VPs and above, fine. I don't know how big your organization is, but that's where you're going to get your pain. Either that 
or my idea about the Bitcoin ATM, I think is still a perfectly rational solution. Do you, do you, do, can, can, I'll, let's just stop the show for a minute. You go do some research on Bitcoin and then you come back and tell me why you're wrong. No, well, wait. no, 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 I'm right. No, I got it. I got it. No, that's, I've thought it through. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. No, you, you see, you, the problem is we just need to make it much easier for the people who have had their files crypto lockered to get Bitcoins. That's all we need. I think the blockchain in your head broke. That could very well be. <laughs> so anyway... This show has gone to hell in a handbasket. Oh, uh, wait. Were there anything else? Uh, backups? What was that? No, no, no. So here's, here's the thing that I do want to say that I'm struggling with. All right. Let's say in an average organization, you got your system ins, you got your security guys, you got your network guys, you got your server guys, you got your web guys. We in the security group are really good about talking about this stuff. We go, oh, yeah, this all makes sense, right? But how do you take this and go to your system in guys and go, you should do this. And they're like, dude, I got 73 open tickets and 38 servers to build and a bunch of fires going on. I don't got time for this random weird crap you're bringing me. Mm-hmm. This is a problem. That's right. Because you can do the Bitcoin ATM without involving your sysadmins whatsoever. All right. You're right. We need to build a blinky box Bitcoin ATM and offer it as a service. Yeah. Certified ransomware free sticker yeah. on the side. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you laugh. You laugh. I, I don't know what to say. All I know is that there's a whole lot of vendors out there who've suddenly become experts in ransomware defense overnight. Just like that. Yeah. yeah. And you know what's amazing is all they had to do was update their marketing collateral and boom! experts. That's true. Leading. That's true. I have been on a number of webinars recently where, um, you know, whatever name your company has uh, has shown us how their uh, how their endpoint solution def de detected the latest version of Locky after you know after <laughs> after they detected the, the new version and then updated this the signatures right. And the favorite part of those prezos that drives me absolutely batshit crazy is they spend the first 10 minutes telling me about the problem I already know about. Yeah. Why? Why do vendors do this? Why? Why do they waste everybody's time telling us all about the problem we already know about? Why are you setting the stage for a problem we already know exists? Are you somehow trying to demonstrate to me that you also understand the problem? They could just, they could just, me. they could just spend more time on that gardener slide. Right, the, the the magic quadrant, or or the these are our other customers slide, or the hey this is our history slide. None of this matters to me at all if your technology sucks. I'll care about all of that after I see what it is your technology can do. But who will want to see it unless? And the funny part is, you try to explain this to most salespeople, and they lose their shit if you don't go through the slide deck in order. Yeah. I, I know I'm channeling some. Uh, by the way, I, I'm a stress disorder. <laughs> so, so, so I'm, uh, I'm reading a really interesting book right now. And speaking of this, and it, it's called Influence. It's written by a psychologist. And actually, the part I'm on right now is actually talking about this very thing. And it's called um, Social Proof. Uh, 
basically, mm. basically, um, you know, you, people don't have to prove something if they can tell you that a whole bunch of other people uh, buy into it. Sure, you look for validation from others, and and so it's not. I, you know, I don't think that's a an accidental strategy that they're doing that. But no, it's absolutely purposeful. It just drives me batshit crazy. Anyway. I oh, think... you're not even going to ask what I'm reading. That's fine. No, go on. Well, no, what are you reading? I'm reading. Thanks for asking. That's very kind of you. I'm reading a biography of the Wright brothers, which is actually kind of fascinating. And I there are lots of stuff I didn't know about. None of it has any relevance to our show, but I just thought I would share. Are you at the point where uh, Orville got his arm cut off? No. Oh, I didn't want to. Oh. Spoiler warning. <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> okay. Sorry. Anyway, that is the show for this week. Not mercifully. <laughs> mercifully. Thank you very much for uh, hanging with us for this long. Uh, we uh, we definitely appreciate you. This is what happens when we record on a Monday when we're tired and hungry. Yeah. As opposed to Sundays when we're usually still pretty fresh. Yep. And uh, if you like the show, give us some uh, love on iTunes. If you really did not like the show, don't go to iTunes. And don't just use this show. Maybe yeah. check out a few others. Other ones, too. yeah. Earlier. <laughs> Maybe 20 or so episodes earlier. Those were They were good back then. Um, that's, that's before we stopped phoning it in. That's right. We hadn't jumped the shark back then. We hadn't jumped the crypto locker back then. Uh, you can find links to the stories we talked about on our website, www.defensivesecurity.org. And uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Callan on Twitter at Lurg, me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. And with that, we will talk again next week. Thank you much. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. But... We should do a show because you're standing in in the way of dinner. All right. Because you were too busy on Sunday Yay. having a life. Yeah. So uh, in other news, yeah. Um, did you see my internet points? Uh, that you're like, yeah, an influencer yeah. and shit. Oh yeah. 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 I, I coveted yeah. your internet points. Yeah. yeah. Many people covet my internet points. Yep. You yeah. suck. It's not fair. I'm taking my color commentary and going home. For someone who helped you get all these internet points, you could show me a little appreciation. So I don't mean to be all but did you forget who you're talking to? Because I think you did. Because I ain't your bitch. But, you know, whatever. I made you. I can unmake you. I brought you into this podcasting world. Wait, no. No, no, I didn't. no, 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 no. I brought you into the social media world. We got we to gotta think more about monetization. Mm-hmm. Pop-ups and pop-unders and banner ads and... Yeah, I popped onto your mom. Oh, man. Let's see. What else? What other what other innovations can we come up with? Like... Uh, Pop-nears? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe like, maybe it pops up on the next page you go to just to completely f*** with you. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. I wonder if there's a way to install ransomware with an MP3 file. You know, in a few more years, that would have him up against the wall. Yep. That will not be tolerated in our Trump presidency. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.